Thank you so very much, Dr. Keston. I've been told that if I'll enroll in your voice class that I'll be able to sound just like that in about a year. And uh, so uh, thank you for singing so beautifully for us today. I want to uh, add my welcome to that of Dr. Blazing, to all of you new students, and thank God for all of those of you who've come back. Uh, you didn't have a bad accident somewhere and end up in the hospital or the morgue, and so we're delighted that you are here uh, today, every one of you. If you had any idea the sorrows and the trouble and the heartbreak and the tribulation that awaits you in the work of the Lord, you would drop your courses today and leave and none of you would come back. On the other hand, if you had any idea what the joys that await you and the, and the exaltation and the spirit of the presence of the Almighty God in your life, the following day you would re-enroll. And you would do so with a determination that you're going to study and get everything you possibly can get for a lifetime of ministry serving the Lord. So there'll be some sorrows along the way. God uses those to temper us, but there'll be a great joy in it all. Well, I'd like for you to turn in your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 22. We have a brief text and a brief time, but I want to ask you a question this morning, if I may. And here's the very simple question. Do you love Jesus? Of course, the answer to that is, uh, yes, I do, but how shall we know? And so in the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew, beginning in verse 34, we read, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, uh, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. But you know, it seems that there's a little problem associated with it. In 1 John, John raises the specter of that problem when he says, if we are not able to love our brother whom we have seen, how will we love our God whom we have not seen? You see, part of the problem with loving an object is that if we've never seen the object, how shall we love that object? If the Lord God is truly God, yet he has not seen to reveal himself to us yet in ways that we can see, then how will we love him? And how do we know what it means to love him? It's easy to say, I love him, but what does that actually mean? There's so much fun in the Bible that so many people miss 
especially this generation that I take it to be generally too serious. And uh, one of the fun places is to just see what the Bible says on the side. You will notice that uh, the Pharisees became aware of the fact that Jesus had put to silence the Sadducees. Now, they didn't like Jesus, but it sure was fun to see the Sadducees put down. And so when Jesus reduced the Sadducees to silence, they rejoiced in it, and they had a lawyer. Now, I don't too frequently involve myself in lawyer jokes. There's a good reason why I don't. I probably will need one within the next day or so, and I have learned that uh, I am grateful for lawyers. But it is true that it is a part of the profession that is often present, too often present, to have a bit of arrogancy associated with it. I'm good on my feet. I'm able to ask a question that will discombobulate the witness. Doesn't matter whether the witness is telling the truth or not, by the time I get with them, they'll look like a pretzel. They'll be so tangled up. And people have always been that way in the legal profession. Not all of them, thank God, but some of them. And so they had a lawyer there among the Pharisees, and he figured that although everyone else had failed, he knew the question to confuse the master. And so he said to him, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, you understand the genius behind this question. It honestly did not matter what Jesus said. If he said, well, you shall not commit adultery because the home is sacred, then the lawyer is going to have nine other options that he can go to. And he can appeal to those and say, why would that one be more important than the other? And what he failed to take into consideration was the degree to which Jesus knew his Bible. If I didn't ask you to come away with anything else today, I would ask you to come away with a new determination in your heart that these years that you are here in seminary, you will give them to learning the Bible. Oh, uh, I know you think you know it, but you don't. I have been studying it now for 74 years almost, and I want to tell you that I keep on learning more and more and more. And frustrated often at how little I do remember. I remember so well my father. And when I would ask him a question, as often as not, he would quote a passage of Scripture. And I got to thinking he made them up. And I said, Dad, where is that? And lo and behold, he would tell me. And I became aware of the fact that he had so permeated himself with the Word of God that he tended to think God's thoughts after him. That's an important phase of your ministry. If you can answer with the Word of God, who can question your authority? You have answered under the authority of Almighty God. And so our Lord knew his Bible thoroughly, and he knew the exact answer to give the lawyer. In fact, he gave him two when the lawyer only asked for one. And he said, 
The greatest of the commandments is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. This is the first one, but the second one's like it, since you need to know, and that is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we look at that simple verse, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. What exactly are we to see in that passage, and how is it to affect whether or not we really love God? Well, there's a certain extent to which many interpreters are right when they say uh, he's not meaning to be specific about various parts of the human anatomy. He is simply saying with the use of these words, you shall love God with the totality of your being. Every bit of you goes into loving God. There's certainly some truth in that. On the other hand, the Bible is a wonderfully nuanced book. Words are not used carelessly. And as you read the story of God's Word and as you read God's Word, look for the nuance that is there. Don't read something into it that isn't there. There are plenty of preachers that do that. God forgive them. But allow the nuances of the book to speak to you. So what do you think about when you think about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul? What does that mean? Because in that you can find out whether or not it is true that you really love Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, of course, everybody in antiquity knew that the heart was at the central function of the human body that supplied the body with blood and oxygen and food and all of the other things that it needed to do. And, and they understood that the heart had no spiritual function as such. But it also became characteristic of antiquity to speak of the heart as the source of the affections of a man. And so you're walking in the forest one day, and you come to a big oak tree, and you're admiring the oak tree, and you look down it, and somebody has carved in the oak tree, Randy Hart's Sarah. And what does that mean? Randy's affection is toward Sarah. And so we, too, use the heart as, as the symbol of the deepest affections of the soul. And let me tell you what is true about loving Jesus. To love Jesus is to love to be with him. Don't tell me you love Jesus when you're not drawn to him affectionately. Don't tell me that you love Jesus when you pray only in the moment of desperate circumstance. Don't tell me that you love Jesus when you don't have time to read his word. Don't tell me that you love Jesus when you don't think often about him. Did you ever notice the 12 apostles as they walked to and fro with Jesus? They loved to be with him. Only Judas revealed his own heart by often being absent from the meeting. 
even he was charmed by Jesus, and there was something about Jesus that, that drew him, and yet there was something about Jesus that obviously repelled him also. Not so of the other 11. The other 11 couldn't be with him enough. They wanted to be with him in the ocean. They wanted to be with him on the land. They wanted to be with him on the mountaintop. There was always something to learn, and there was something about him that was so compelling. And did you notice that that true, that same thing is true of Jesus as you watch his life? He gets up early in the morning before anybody else, and he's out there in the mountaintop seeking his father, whom he dearly, dearly loved. To love someone with all your heart is to be drawn to them in your affections. I want to ask you today, do you love Jesus with all of your heart? Is he the object of your greatest affections? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind. Well, a mind is an organ that for some people is used for thinking. And uh, to think and to contemplate is to respond also to the mandates of the master. So love the Lord your God with all of your mind is to want to know what he says and to want to do what he says. If you love me, Jesus said, show me, keep my commandments. And you know, it doesn't make any difference what a person says. I love Jesus, but he doesn't know what the commands of the Lord are. He's never paid the price to, to study them and, and to uh, uh, place them in the depths of his mind and heart. He doesn't know that. And, and even if he does know them, he doesn't really care that much about them. His objective is not holiness in life. His objective is not a likeness to the life and ministry of our Lord. His objective is his own ministry. His objective is to be successful, to have a following, to be appropriately rewarded for that in terms of mammon. And so he has all kinds of objectives, but one of them is not to obey Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the mind comes into play in the classroom. And on the seminary campus, it's not just a classroom, not just a place for learning. It's a place for learning with a view to obedience. I learn and I know in order that I may obey. Dr. Blazing mentioned a moment ago that we're celebrating this year the Reformation. And I have been asked to write in a journal in Europe an article on Martin Luther. I love Martin Luther. I love him for a whole lot of reasons. One thing is, he's always into something. And uh, I can't help but identify with that to a large degree. And oftentimes he is into something he ought not to be into. And I can't help but identify with that to a large degree. But as I look at Luther, I look at a man who determined that he was going to find out what God wanted to do in him. That took 
advantage of everything else. Reading uh, another biography, I think the fifth that I've read in my life of Luther, this one, uh, a very prestigious biography. And uh, as I've read the biography, it's been driven home to me again that Luther loved Jesus. He didn't always act like it, but he loved Jesus. He wanted to know what he said in order to know what to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and then comes kind of the tough one here, with all your suke, with all of your soul. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant by that that you are to love the Lord your God without asking about the consequences, without worrying about what the price may be. You love him without ever inquiring about the sacrifices that will be made. You love him so much that it doesn't matter. Somebody can fill in the blank on that later on, but you just love him regardless of the circumstances. Do you love Jesus today regardless of the circumstances? 1878, two men were found riding in a train together in an overnight hall across the United States. Both men were relatively famous. One was named Robert Ingersoll. He was a noted atheist. The other was a successful Civil War general whose name was Lew Wallace. Lew Wallace had distinguished himself for the Union Army on the battlefield. He was known to be a man of great courage and great bravery. Ingersoll was charmed with the opportunity to visit with the general, and they never went to sleep that night. They talked all night on the train. They talked about the matter of the battlefield and Lew Wallace's accomplishments there. And then finally they got down to what Ingersoll wanted to talk about, and he said, you know, Lew, I have made my living out of trying to dispel this stupid idea that Jesus of Nazareth was God. And I find that now I have said so much that people are not hearing me very well. And he said, it occurred to me that a man with your popularity in the general public would be the perfect person to write a novel, to put it in a novel form, that would get the attention of everybody. And, and if you put it in a novel form and debunk this myth of Jesus, I know it would be extremely effective and people would hear you that will never hear me and they would decline to follow in the way of Jesus any further. Lou Wallace was a thinker. He pondered it for several days, walking around a strange city and thinking about what he had been asked to do. And it occurred to Lou Wallace that because he was a man of thought, that maybe he ought to research this very carefully before he entered upon writing a novel that would debunk the Christ. He had never done it before. 
He was now well along in life, but it seemed to be the appropriate time to do it. He didn't have much to do. He had some time on his hand. And so Lou Wallace turned to the research of the story of Christ and Christianity. Some peculiar things happened in Lou Wallace's life. Number one, he couldn't find the holes in the story. The more he studied, the more it all hung together and made sense. But that alone would not have stopped him from doing it, or at least it would not have demanded his allegiance. But another thing happened. The more he studied about Jesus, the more he fell in love with Jesus the Christ. 1880, he published the book that he had been asked to publish. The name of the book was Ben-Hur. It has now been memorialized in four films, one just recently. But of course, the all-time favorite for most of us who have seen it would be the Ben-Hur that came out in the 1960s. Cinematography may not have been quite as vivid at that particular time, but they had one thing there that we don't have now, and that was Charleston Heston. And Charleston Heston played the role of Judah Ben-Hur. In that story, Judah was uh, not himself a follower of the Lord, although he obviously grew up in a Jewish home. In the fight against Rome, he was captured, forced into the position as a galley slave, and worked in that position for a number of terrifying years, working on a Roman galley, risking his life every day. The last moment miraculously set free. He then became a driver in the chariot races, and no scene from Ben-Hur is any more remembered by the average person than the great chariot race scene uh, in the Colosseum. And so when he finally survives all of that, he is now a free man. And he goes back home to try to find his family that he has not seen for years. And he arrives at the house. And as soon as the servant sees him, he's stunned that Ben-Hur is there. But, but he doesn't want to face him. And Ben-Hur begins to question him, why? Where is my mother? Where is my sister? Oh, my. I can hardly tell you. Why? They are lepers. They are lepers. They are lepers. They are still alive. But they're confined outside the city in the caves. And they are lepers. Nobody can approach them. And they can approach nobody. We have a friend who, who goes and leaves a sack of food on a regular basis, but she doesn't see them at all. Ben-Hur immediately says, I will go. People plead with him, no, Judah, don't go. You can't go. I will go. Judah, the price is too high. Judah, if you go there and you touch them, you too will become a leper. You cannot go. Your life has been spared. Now live the rest of it. Don't go to the leper cave. And Judah says, I 
We'll go. Watch what happens. Yes, Judah, yes. No nearer, please, God, no nearer. Wait, Mother. Wait. Let me talk with you. Oh, please. No, no further, please. No, Judah, my son. No. Mother, let me see Tirza. Tirza is dying. Judah, if they would see Jesus of Nazareth, they will know that life is everlasting and death is nothing to fear if you have faith. I will take them to him. is more than we know.
say love. Never asks the price. It is genuine love. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Do you love Jesus? Do you love to be with him? And can that be demonstrated by your life? Do you love Jesus? Do you study to know what he says? And then you do it. Do you love Jesus? Do you never ask the price? Judah's love for Tirzah, his sister, and his mother compelled him to put everything down in order to reach out to them and pick them up and carry them out of the leper's cave. Do you love Jesus? I know that perhaps most of you have come to this state in your life when you know Jesus, but you couldn't put together this many people, not even in a seminary, but that there's some here who would have to say in honesty, given that grid, I don't love Jesus. I cannot actually look into the face of God and say, I love Jesus in that way. If that is you today, I would be the worst president of any institution that ever lived if I did not give you the opportunity today, the first session of the seminary, to get that right with God forever. And I'm just wondering today, please, with nobody looking but God from heaven and the president, how many of you would say by uplifted hand, Lord, here am I. By that definition, I have not loved thee. But today, I commit my life to you and my love to you. Would you just slip your hand up in the air all over the auditorium? Yes, God bless you and you and you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm going to ask uh, two or three of our men to come stand here at the front for just a moment. We're going to be led in our invitation hymn. And as we sing this old wonderful hymn, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. If today, I know, I know this is a difficult thing to think about doing, but this is the only thing. Remember, love doesn't ask the price. Love just reacts to the devotion of the heart. Would you come today? make that public
Now today, would you lead us and whatever decision you have to make today, if it's to reconsecrate your life to the Lord, you come. These men are here at the front to pray with you. Let's stand together and you sing with us, please.